right. This morning we are talking about leadership for gathered worship. In other words, who plans and carries out these whole church gatherings. And I wonder what comes I wonder what answer comes to mind for you when I ask the question, who plans and carries out our whole church gatherings? Or, who is our worship leader? Here are three reasons why this is important for us to talk about. First of all, the leadership of gathered worship has changed dramatically in American Christianity. And I'm going to quote from how Bob Coughlin explains this in his book, Worship Matters. If you were born after 1980, you probably don't remember when the term worship leader didn't exist. But that designation really didn't emerge until the early 1970s. I don't think anyone back then had a clue how the thinking, structure, and practices of the church would come to be dominated by worship music and worship leaders. So that alone makes this something important for us to talk about. Now, I'm not going to get into that and the... the, the cultural and church setting of this. I'm not going to get into any of that this morning, but it is part of why this is very important to talk about. But then we can add to that two other reasons. So secondly, outside of the leadership and preaching of pastors, nothing has a larger impact on the whole church than the leadership of of gathered worship. And thirdly, everyone is blessed when the whole church family understands, encourages, and is actively involved in the leadership of gathered worship. So, uh, my hope is to try to explain what that means this morning. This is a, this is a kind of pop the hood and look in the engine kind of a morning, which in a sense is what a lot of this series is uh, about, about worship. We're, we're spending a lot of time remembering, understanding why we do what we do. And that also means that there is no one passage of the Bible that is our sermon text today. Now, we're going to look at several things at the end of the sermon this morning, but that's because there is no paragraph in the Bible that explains the roles and responsibilities of worship leaders for the New Testament church. As a matter of fact, there is no mention of worship leaders in the New Testament. So God expects us to apply biblical wisdom being guided by the doctrines and principles of all of Scripture. So that's what we're going to seek to do this morning. So, let's pray for the Lord's help with us, and then, and then we'll jump right in. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we got to gather and both confess sin and seek your mercy in song and in Scripture reading, and then rejoice together in all that you are for us in Christ. And so now, we want today to be a day when we don't harden your hearts when we hear your voice but instead we want our hearts to be soft soil for what you're doing. So please work in us through your word for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First question this morning, what leadership is needed for gathered worship? Again, off the top of your head, how many leaders are needed for gathered worship if you just had to come up with a number? How many leaders are needed for gathered worship? And it's common today to refer to a church's single worship leader. Um, But in reality, many types of leadership are needed for gathered worship, and there are many leaders involved. And so I want to take a few minutes to remind us about that. I don't think I'm going to be telling you much of anything new. Um, But maybe it's a little bit like when we're kids, and if if you're in a decently stable home as a kid, it doesn't cross your mind to wonder how you have a roof over your head, how there are clothes in your drawers, how food keeps ending up in the fridge and meals on the table, how the car keeps running. From a kid's perspective, it just happens. It just is. And sometimes church can appear to be a little bit like that. You just walk through the doors and it is. It just happens. But if we see it that way, 
we are missing the wonder and the joy of the amazing teamwork that happens every Sunday. And we're not part of it. (laughs) So let's step back and remember what goes into gathered worship and how many different leaders are actually involved in that. So let me just start with some categories again. These will be very, in a sense, obvious, uh, but let's start with facility. So these are the people who allow us to have a functional and comfortable place to gather, everything from repairing broken sinks to setting up everything for fellowship meals back here to providing security to helping keep, you know, to help keep us safe when we gather. That takes a lot of leadership in a lot of ways. If, we, if leadership means organization, communication, initiative, it takes a lot of leadership just to simply have a facility to use. Then there's uh, technology, the people who maintain and run the sound system and the lights and the projector and figure out why our light controllers are not cooperating with us this morning. Um, There is finances, the people who lead behind the scenes to allow us to pay the rent and do things like keep up with our electrical bills so the AC runs this morning uh, when it's so hot outside. There is hospitality, those who welcome you at the doors and make sure you have seating and put worship guides into your hands and help with fellowship meals and serving and cooking and so forth. There's so much administration that goes into our whole church gatherings. There's, there are the people who print the worship guides and fold them and cut the sermon handouts and make the PowerPoint slides and also oversee the church calendar and all of the intricate scheduling that goes into gathering as a church family. There's all the support behind the Lord's Supper, the people who keep up with ordering the items that we need and preparing them and recruiting and organizing the servers. There are the leaders in our nursery and the classes for our small children and the volunteers who enable the parents to focus on the gathered worship and also influence those kids toward Christ. So all of these areas are, in a sense, behind the scenes, and yet all of them directly impact our gathered worship. And the lights are just a perfect... Did the lights just come on? (laughs) Okay. We have more spotlights than we did 30 seconds ago. Um, The lights are a perfect example of this. When they just work, you don't notice, right? And that's the way it is with so many of these these areas. Each Each of these areas needs leadership, organization, planning, decision making, communication. So, how many leaders do we need for gathered worship? Even just based on what I've said so far. We're already up to a lot, right? And I haven't even started into any of the essential elements of gathered worship. There is leadership needed to study and preach sermons, leadership to open and close our services and to plan those openings and closings, leadership for congregational prayer and to plan what we're going to pray so that we don't just get stuck in ruts, you know, leadership to choose Scripture readings and then prayerfully prepare to do them. Leadership to plan Lord's Supper services. As we, as we said last Sunday, there are biblical essentials to the Lord's Supper, but then there are so many facets to it that Lord's Supper services need to have a, a lot of variety to reflect a lot of different facets. All of that needs leadership. There's leadership to work with those who are seeking to be baptized. Leadership to plan and lead prayer meetings. So how much leadership do you need for gathered worship? And what have I not even mentioned yet? The thing that most people think of when they think of worship leadership, which is music. We haven't even mentioned it yet, and yet we already have this whole litany of leadership, leaders and leadership that is needed. So even though the title worship leader is often used for a church's lead musician, worship leadership is so much more than just music and so much more than just one person. But we do need to talk about music, since singing together is one of the core elements of gathered worship. So let me just quickly touch on some of the ways in which singing together requires leadership. And first of all, there is leadership needed to choose songs. And we'll talk more about song selection later this fall. Um, but, but just a couple things this morning to point out how it takes work and skill and leadership. So um, if... Uh, 
if, if a church is going to do congregational singing, meaning that the purpose of our music is to enable a church family to sing together rather than um, us doing music for you, um, then, a, a, then a church family is going to have to maintain like a collection of songs which we, we work through carefully, we teach our church family because we have to know them, we have to learn them and to be able to sing them congregationally together. And so there's only, you can only have so many songs when you do it that way. In other words, if we're just performing music for you, we can perform whatever we want. But if we're actually seeking to bring a whole congregation together in singing, then there are only so many songs we can sing. I, you want to guess how many songs GBC sings on some type of regular basis? Just maybe think of a number. You want to guess what that number is? And depending on how churches do it, that, that number can vary. But churches in their with congregational singing, it's going to be somewhere between probably 100 and 200 songs. Our church sings about 140 right now um, in our regular collection of songs. And so that, that collection, you have to develop it, teach it, maintain it, um, add and subtract over time. It's kind of like a musical garden that you plant and you grow and you weed and you water and... Uh, and each song that goes into that garden is very important. First of all, because you only have room for a certain number of them. And so um, to make it into the garden, it's got to be good. And second of all, because the combination of lyrics and music is so powerful. We were singing this morning, and the next verse of one of those, of, of I Run to Christ, came up. And I realized that there's a phrase written into my sermon manuscript this morning that's straight from I run to Christ. Oftentimes, it is the lyrics of songs that teach just as much as the sermons teach, and oftentimes songs are remembered for a lifetime. And so every song that goes into the church's collection needs to be examined very carefully. And I won't get into this now, but we examine songs theologically, lyrically, you know, textually, and musically. And then we also examine how that song fits into the garden. Like, cucumbers might be great, but if you have a big garden, you don't want an entire garden of just cucumbers. And so, when it comes to adding songs to our, our collection, we want to have a balance of old and new, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, praise and lament and thanks and confession. Our collection needs to reflect a thorough and balanced view of God's character and God's attributes. It needs to be Christ-centered. It needs to emphasize each of the core aspects of the gospel. And so, a lot of leadership is needed to simply build and maintain the collection of songs that we regularly use. But even then, we're just barely getting started, right? Because then you have to prepare those songs musically for congregational use. Are they in keys that normal people can sing? Are the rhythms understandable for congregational singing? What sheet music do we need for a variety of, of instruments and so forth? And then the song collection also, if we're going to do congregational singing, our song collection also needs to be available for the church family so that you can learn music that you're unfamiliar with. So we actually have, if you haven't used it yet, on our website we have, there it was and there it was gone, there it is. Uh, we have a really remarkable library that Heidi Jean maintains of our song collection that you can use. So if you go to resources, first option there is Worship with Grace, go to the church music library and you can get... Uh, sheet music and recordings and, and the texts of all of our of the songs that we sing as a church family. Um, you do need a login for that because for copyright reasons, we can only make it available to you, not the world. Um, but if you don't have a login, just go to that page. There's a contact at gbcmaria.church is right there. You can email and, and we'll get you set up for that. So that's another part of it. And then we're still just getting started because you need musicians uh, and so they need to be recruited and developed and rehearsed and discipled. And just so you know, at GBC, we're not going to hire musicians. 
We're going to trust that God will provide the musicians He would have for us from within our, our congregation. And so that calls for, for leadership. And once all of that has been done, then we arrive at the actual musical leadership in the service itself. The point of congregational singing is unity. It is many voices singing one song, like Romans 15. And that means that we need leadership. If the piano and the guitar start out in two different keys, we're in trouble. (laughs) If the leader and the pianist are feeling two very different tempos, it's going to be rocky when we get into that song. If the slides get messed up and no one knows which verses we're singing, it becomes a giant jumble of speaking in accidental tongues. So, a tremendous amount of leadership is needed for congregational singing. It's leadership that that calls for theological insight, a love for people, musical skill, and wisdom. There was this moment this morning when uh, there's this this interlude before we come into United in His Resurrection um, in Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless Love, and Eric takes the mic, steps back, puts his hand over the mic, which is a really subtle but effective way of telling us, don't jump in too quick on this or you'll sound funny. (laughs) You'll be singing solo. That's just skill in, in leadership. So a tremendous amount of leadership is needed for congregational singing. And then, after all of that has been done, there's still a critical need for leadership to actually plan the services, to take all of these elements that we've been learning about for the last several weeks and combine them together into services that are God-glorifying, Christ-centered, Spirit-enabled, Bible-saturated, edifying, clear, meaningful, and to do that consistently week after week, year after year, because one thing you notice in church leadership, Sunday is always coming, and somehow it's never more than seven days away. And so there's a constant need for service planning. And then... Finally, well, can I just point out that I, except for a couple comments about, what, about Eric leading up here, I actually, we haven't actually gotten yet to leading the service. Everything we've said is leadership for gathered worship, and we haven't yet gotten to somebody actually has to lead the service. But they do, and the person who leads the service itself sets the entire tone of a service. Their attitude and demeanor can communicate reverence and awe. They can communicate appropriate joy and delight or sorrow or humility. They can help shepherd our hearts through a flow of biblical thought in the service. They make little comments along the way that instruct us and guide us. They coach us in congregational singing. They play a significant role in helping us be unified musically and in our corporate readings. Another thing Eric did today was we went back and forth between him reading and us reading at Romans 11, and he was careful to pause before he started into his reading to make it less likely we'd jump the gun on that second slide. Those things make a difference in our ability to stay focused on God and what the truths in that service. The person who leads also plays an important role in ensuring that everything is done in a way that benefits the whole church. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, when he says, let all things be done decently and in order. The point is that in gathered worship, we're not asking what benefits one person, but what benefits everyone. And that is so much more complicated In the first four days of this week, I spent about 25 hours in various vehicles with Nadia and Esther um, because Crystal stayed home while I took the two of them up to a a brief family reunion with my family in Washington. And it was quite an adventure. In just one day, we did car, bus, train, boat, and plane uh, with a five-year-old. And I was reminded of the vast difference between traveling with children and traveling without children, you know. Without children, you have no one to worry about except yourself, your need to get to the bathroom, your need to remember to fill your water bottle, and and so forth. Uh, But once you incorporate children, especially if you're doing it by yourself, the difficulty level just kind of goes up exponentially, like airport security, for example. And so, in a similar way, gathered worship is not just a private experience. It's a family gathering 
And so the ones who plan and lead the services have to keep in mind what builds up the whole church. There are people who are brand new to the faith and people who have been saved for many decades. There are people who walk in heartbroken by grief from Friday or Saturday or this morning. And there are people who walk in and they are on cloud nine with joy because of what just happened. There are people who are lonely and there are people who are trying to keep an entire row of children corralled. There are people who are growing and there are people who are stumbling and falling apart. There are people with Bible knowledge, lots of it, and there are people who are just getting started. And so a tremendous amount of wisdom is needed both to plan and then lead a service. So we've covered everything from facility and technology and finance and hospitality and the nursery to musicians and service planning and leading. Now we're not touching on everything that happens in all of our church life because there are other things that happen outside of our gatherings, but we're touching on the majority of things that happen when we all gather together. And it is a beautiful and really amazing teamwork that happens every Sunday. Now, let's move to another question, and then we'll come back to some of those things at the end. Are there worship leaders in the Bible? And the short answer is yes, though they're found in Israel's history in ways that don't directly parallel the church today. So, for example, the Jewish priests were definitely worship leaders in in a sense. Um, That doesn't help us a whole lot because the key responsibilities of the priests were fulfilled in Christ. No leader today could do what the priests did, Um, and we don't need someone to do that because Christ did it completely and once for all. So worship leaders today are not some type of modern priest. That is not the case. Another category, a very interesting category in the Old Testament is the Levites. And it's not super simple to understand exactly what the Levites did because it, it, it seems to have changed at different seasons in Israel's history. But the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the entire tribe was set apart to be servants for Israel's worship. A few of the Levites were priests, the descendants of Aaron, but most of the Levites helped and served in other ways. Sometimes they were carrying stuff and cleaning stuff and setting up for worship. Sometimes they were copying the Scriptures and teaching the Scriptures. Sometimes they were leading in songs or prayer. All of those things were different worship support roles of the Levites. And so they played different roles at different times in Israel's history, like I said. But it's striking to me that God set apart an entire tribe just to support the worship of the nation. It took a ton of people. Honestly, sometimes we can get, when you're down in the weeds of trying to keep up with like the nursery schedule and the the fellowship meal schedule and all those things, some of us, Pastor John especially, since a lot of that ends up in his, in his lap, you can just be like, ah, you know, this person's gone and that person's gone and this person's gone and this person just got sick and we don't have enough people to do all this. Why does this have to be so complicated? It helps me to go back to Israel and remember it was just as complicated for them. God set aside a whole tribe. We just don't have a tribe to do it. We are the tribe. We are the Levites uh, to, to do this. And so, and it's also interesting that the Levites were set apart as a living sacrifice to God. You can go read that in Numbers 8. They were, they were the replacement for the firstborn that didn't die um, in, in, the, in the Exodus. So they were these lives dedicated to God to enable the gathered worship of God's people. And then in addition to the priests and Levites, many other Jewish leaders were sometimes involved in worship leadership, like Moses, Joshua, different prophets, different judges, several different kings. Of course, King David had a special role, leadership role, especially with music, and it's remarkable. You know, we have the obvious evidence that he was very gifted lyrically and in writing, and he was gifted musically in composing. And then uh, there's this little reference in Amos 6-5 about people who invent instruments like David. So apparently he was also like a craftsman who made musical instruments. So uh, David was a king who had a remarkable role in, uh, in leadership in music especially. So the point is that there were various types of worship leaders in Israel's history. There are some principles we can learn from them, but none of them have a direct parallel to the New Testament church. So then... What, what are the principles? What Bible truths can guide our thinking about worship leadership? Number one, Jesus 
is the one who leads us to God. And we've already talked about this, but he is the ultimate and truest worship leader. He is the Savior who sought us out in our sin and our idolatry and then forgave us and made us alive and drew us to worship. He made us worshipers. He is the one who died on the cross to bring us to God. He entered into the presence of God on our behalf. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God for us today. Our, here's the line, our advocate and friend. And not only that, but He's the one who's building the church. And so the entire picture that we're painting this morning of all that goes on in gathered worship, it all comes from Christ. He builds church families. Our gatherings are not the work of men, but the work of Jesus Christ. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the helper for our worship. So what happens here on Sunday mornings is from Christ through the Spirit. And so in a sense, the Spirit is also our worship leader. We are not sufficient for the worship of the one true God. But with the Spirit in us and among us, He enables our worship. He draws out our worship. He strengthens and guides our worship. So again, our gatherings are not the work of men, but the work of the Spirit of God as He leads us. Number three, pastors are responsible for gathered worship. Pastors are called by God in the New Testament to shepherd, to oversee, and to rule the church. And so God's going to hold us responsible for the focus of worship, the elements of worship, the content, the leadership of worship. Pastors don't ever get to say, I don't know what the worship leader's up to, but that's his problem. No, that's our problem. It's our calling of God to lead the gathered worship, to be responsible for the gathered worship of the church. Here's how our ministry priorities say it. As the primary leaders and examples for the church, the pastors should actively participate in the planning and leading of public worship. They should ensure that the entire church family is educated about gathered worship, that the forms of worship invite the participation of the entire church family, and that all believers are exhorted to participate wholeheartedly. So I hope you can see that we're trying to carry out that last sentence in uh, this series right now. So pastors are responsible, but of course it's neither possible nor desirable for the pastors to do it all. They have got to give themselves, we have got to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word and the oversight of the whole church. So number four, deacons are gifted servant leaders for gathered worship. And that's what we would expect based on the little bit that the New Testament says about deacons, and it is exactly what we have at GBC. So Steve Fontes and Dave McCammett are deacons for finance who work together with Pastor Eric. Micah Talbert and Mike Erickson are deacons for facility who work together with me. Tim Smith and Dave Dunker are deacons for hospitality. Daniel Osborne's deacon for technology. They work together with Pastor John. And then we have a deacon for gathered worship, Eric Ray, who works together with me and then with all the pastors. We have some empty deacon roles right now in food, missions, mercy, administration, would love to have a second deacon for gathered worship at some point too. So these deacons are servant leaders who work together with the pastors in serving the gathered worship of the whole church. Number five, in addition to pastors and deacons, many others have gifts that relate to leadership and gathered worship. There are people with gifts of serving, like Mike or Betty at the door, or Darren or Gus or Brock on facility, or I don't know all the people who help with fellowship meals, but Taryn and Kelly and Tina and Monica, or if Lisa and her kids folding worship guides and preparing the Lord's Supper. I can't name everybody I realize. I'm just trying to give some examples. There are people with gifts of music, like this morning, Heidi Jean and, and, and Daniel and Cyrus and Kalel and Chrissy and Alicia and those who play an instrument. That's leadership, right? That, it really is... I was, I was thinking about that little... You know, those little violin lines from Kalel this morning and how they, they set in our ears key and tempo and rhythm for, for that music. Or people like Becca and Jan who can train others to sing so that we have like girls' choir and these beautiful uh, the singing for us. There are people with gifts of administration. Um, and these are the kind of people who really don't want me to name them. But, you know, people like Jimmy who organize the teams for the Lord's Supper or Gina organizing the nursery schedules. 
There are people with gifts of speaking and writing to read Scripture or write songs. We could keep going, but the point is that the pastors and deacons are hardly the only gifted leaders in the church family. They're hardly the only ones with influence, and that's why we make sure that our deacons build teams so that it's actually teams in all these areas that are working together. And then number six, the whole congregation actively participates in gathered worship. It may be true that not everyone is a leader, but no one is just on the sideline. So, that gives us some scriptural principles to help us hopefully be wise and think biblically about worship leadership. And by the way, as I go along this morning, if, um, uh, if God is bringing to mind in your heart some ways in which you could bless your church family, then please come talk to us. Or if you've come and talked to us before and we've dropped the ball, please um, be merciful and come talk to us again um, about those things. Then, uh, finally, this question, who is GBC's worship leader? So, we've talked about a lot this morning, but if someone asked you, who is GBC's worship leader, what would you say? Now, first of all, we can note that pastors and deacons are biblical offices, but worship leader isn't a biblical office, so we don't have one officially appointed worship leader at GBC. It's not, it's not a thing. But I still want to know how you would answer the question, who's our worship leader? And I'm, a, I'm going to suggest three answers that you could give, three good answers. So first of all, you could say, we have four worship leaders right now, our, our three pastors and the deacon for gathered worship um, kind of rotate leading services, though Pastor John and I do it less than the two Eric's. So that would be a good answer. We have four worship leaders right now. Or you could say, another good answer would be Eric Ray, because he is our deacon for gathered worship. And so, even though the three pastors all take turns leading services, Eric is the one who plans and oversees our music collection. He plans most of our prayers and scripture readings. He and I work together on songs and prayers and scripture readings, but the bulk of the work is done by him. He does all of the coordinating with our musicians. He oversees the team for the Lord's Supper, and he's the one who actually plans most of our services. So it would be entirely fair to call him our worship leader. And God has given to him both gifts and opportunities to develop those gifts. Um, And I know he doesn't want me to talk about him, but he has a very special combination of musical giftedness, um, a beautiful voice that sounds better than the rest of us even when he's sick, Uh, a caring heart and a love for people and biblical and theological knowledge and an understanding of the local church and administrative skills. And that is an unusual combination that blesses all of us. Um, He also works full-time at MSJC and is a student trying to get his master's degree in choral conducting. So he is maxed out, and we certainly need to continue building a team around him um, and supporting him every way I can. So I hope you will encourage him every way you can and support him every way in which you can. But if the question is, who is GBC's worship leader, there wouldn't be anything wrong with saying Eric Ray, um, because he has a significant impact on our, on our gatherings. Okay, so I'm suggesting three ways to answer the question, who's our worship leader? One is, we have four right now. And another is Eric Ray, if you like your answers short and sweet. And then there's a third possible answer. And as with most things in life, we like short, simple answers, and they're usually not the best answer. So if someone really wanted to know who our worship leader is, you could say, well, Jesus is the ultimate worship leader who brings us to God. The Spirit is also like a worship leader because He helps us, essentially strengthens us in our worship. Our pastors oversee all of our gathered worship, and they often lead services too. We have a wonderful deacon for gathered worship who does the majority of the work planning our services and our music. And then our whole church family is like a team so that our gathered worship involves many different leaders. There are people at the door and people behind the security monitors and people folding and people preparing communion and practicing their instruments and preparing the nursery and setting up for our fellowship meal. It's not just one worship leader. There are many gifts and there are many leaders, like a big family working together. And by that point, the person who asked you the question is probably taking a nap or gone. But that's still really the best answer. 
the leadership of gathered worship comes from God the Father through Christ and is enabled by the Spirit. It is overseen by pastors, supported directly by the deacons, and then it involves a beautiful teamwork of the entire church family. It doesn't just happen. And it's not just one worship leader who makes it happen. Our brothers and sisters in Christ take their gifts and experiences and skills and abilities, and they present themselves as a living sacrifice to God. And then they serve all of us in gathered worship. It is a beautiful teamwork of many types of leadership as we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice for the Lord and for one another. So will you take your Bible now and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. So I just said, or I probably have said repeated times this morning, that it's a beautiful teamwork. And so to close this morning, I'd like us to spend a couple of minutes pondering why it's right to say that it's beautiful. What's beautiful about it? Because when you're trying to plug that hole in the nursery schedule and there's nobody available, it doesn't feel beautiful. <laughs> What's beautiful about it? And we're going to, in just a minute, we're going to work through a sequence of passages in Ephesians 5. But before we get there, just let me share a few reasons before we get to the final reason. A few reasons why it's a beautiful teamwork. First of all, it's beautiful because what we're describing isn't a team of employees who are gathered here because this is the best job they could get to make money. You guys are very poorly paid as employees. This team is willing, volunteer servants. That's beautiful. It's also beautiful because it's not just willing servanthood. It's also motivated by love. The, all of the people that contribute to gathered worship at GBC, they are not doing it because for the sake of their own reputation or something like that, but they're also not doing it to try to earn favor with God, try to merit anything. It's not that. The whole thing is driven by love for God and love for one another. Not greed, not reputation, not comfort. These are servant leaders who are asking, how could I love others? And it's also beautiful because it is servant leadership, not the worldly kind of leadership that is self-absorbed, self-promoting, power-hungry, bossy, craving applause. Consider this. How many of the servant leaders at GBC would you say seem to be self-absorbed, self-promoting, power-hungry, bossy, craving applause? I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen. That can come from our hearts. But at least as I look around, I don't see people at GBC who are going, hey, 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 everybody look at me. Look at all that I'm doing. Everybody notice me. As a matter of fact, the people that I've named this morning are probably all kind of mad at me that I name them because they would happily just stay behind the scenes. Servant leadership is beautiful. This is also beautiful because it's teamwork. We're able to do things when we work together that no one of us could ever do on our own. Many leaders can do what one leader never could. It's also beautiful because it's multifaceted. You know, we as human beings, we're made to love different colors combined together. And leadership in the local church is like that. It involves lots of people with different personalities, different gifts, male and female. And, and by the way, something I have not yet mentioned this morning, part of the diversity is ages. Because, you know, some of the servant leaders at our church that are helping gathered worship happen are about this tall. And that is really cool, isn't it? They're taking their little lives as, and living as living sacrifices for the rest of us. And some of them are coming in on canes or in wheelchairs. Right? That's part of the beauty of it. And it's also beautiful. This 
teamwork that goes into gathered worship is also beautiful because it makes such an impact. Anytime you are here in a service and you are challenged or encouraged or convicted or strengthened, somebody is probably on the stage in that moment. But it was actually a work of God through the loving leadership of so many people. The nursery scheduler was part of your blessing. The person who helped us figure out decor was part of your blessing. So was the deacon for gathered worship and the facility team and the person at the soundboard and the offering counters and the violin player and the security team. Somebody may have been up here on stage in those moments when your heart was being richly challenged or encouraged, but actually blessing flowed to you from God through the conduit of all of these loving leaders among your brothers and sisters. Isn't that cool? And it's okay for you to not think of all them because what all of them would want in that moment is for you to just think about the Lord and not all the people who made those moments possible. That's beautiful. And so, to every one of you who actively helps make gathered worship at this church possible week after week, thank you. I may have missed your area this morning. I may have not mentioned you this morning. And there are other parts of church life I haven't even gotten into. I realize that. Please be merciful with me in that. I'm not trying to leave people out. I hope that I'm encouraging you. Only God truly knows and only God can truly measure the impact of your humble servant leadership. You are laying up treasure in heaven. You are making an impact that matters forever. And someday, God's going to let you see it. Today, you're having to walk by faith, not by sight. So thank you for serving all of us. So those are many reasons why it's a beautiful teamwork. But there is a final reason, and most importantly, it's beautiful because it's beautiful in God's sight. And that's what matters most of all. In the end, the whole thing is worship. So let's look at four brief passages in Ephesians, working our way backward through the book, that point us to this in four different ways. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See that little phrase, in splendor? What's going on here each week when we gather is the preparation of the bride of Christ to be presented to him in splendor. And so it is right for us to say it is a beautiful teamwork. Now, go back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, the first two verses of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see what the implication is there? It is that when you are, by God's grace, an imitator of God, meaning when you walk in love as Christ loved and you lay down your life for his church, you are a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As Paul says in Philippians 4, the gifts we give to serve others are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's Philippians 4, 18. It's beautiful in God's sight. Now back to the end of Ephesians chapter 3. Probably familiar verses to you. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is what brings God glory throughout all generations. So it is a beautiful teamwork. And then finally, Ephesians 2. Verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This gathered church is where God wants to dwell. It is, in a sense, his home on earth. So that mundane stuff that we do week after week, checking thermostats, aligning chairs, making coffee, cutting handouts week after week, what seems insignificant, what seems mundane, is in God's own words a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So wouldn't it be right to call it beautiful? Then will you turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And we'll finish with Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Paul is here in Romans 12 very much talking about life in the church family as we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God and loving service to one another. And he's going to give here examples, just a a selective list, but examples of areas of service. Romans 12, and we'll read verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, or many translations say, with diligence. The word refers to earnest commitment. All of those different types of leaders do it with earnest commitment. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And he could keep going with many other examples of types of gifts and areas of service. The point is, what a beautiful thing it is when the gathered worship of the church family is made possible by a wide array of different leaders who are zealous and cheerful and loving servants. And when the whole church family is excited and grateful and helping out any way they can, it is beautiful. I hope it's beautiful even to you, humanly. Maybe I get to see under the hood more and so maybe that makes it easier for me. But there are many Sundays when I sit up here in my corner and I look around and I just am right on the edge of tears because I just think to myself, this is so cool. Look at what God is doing. Is there brokenness? Is there suffering? Is there sin? Are there hard things? Yes. 
but is it actually really eternally beautiful? Yes, it is. The stuff of this life is going to pass away. All of it. It is going to burn. The church of Jesus Christ will not. It's beautiful. It glorifies God. And I pray that it might be joyful for us too. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a couple reminders and then the final benediction from our scripture reading this morning. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we aren't trying to put our focus on ourselves by talking about these things. We are trying to rejoice in you and all that you do in putting together a church family and all of these loving servants. So we praise you this morning. Grace Bible Church has not been built by any pastor, by any worship leader. It has been built by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this big team of loving servants does not exist because we're such great people, but because you're such a great Savior. And you have rescued us from living an empty life for the things of this life that will just be gone. And instead, drawn us to yourself that we might be part of what will last forever, the kingdom that will not be shaken. And so we praise you for all that you have done for us in Christ. I pray that you would stir up each of our hearts to love you, to love what you're doing, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two announcements and then a closing benediction. Um, Remember that if you want to participate in that love offering for Audrey, you just use those envelopes that are right there in the seats in front of you. Make a note on there about it and put it in the offering box in the back. We'll do that today and next Sunday. And then if you have never gotten your picture taken for our church directory, or if you think you look better today than the last time you got your picture taken, or if your children have aged so much that they're unrecognizable the last time, from the last time your picture was taken, um, we have time here before you need to head to over to McKinney's. So just head right out the back here. And it's on the outside of the building, right behind the rolling garage door, is where uh, Audrey suddenly discovered she's going to be taking your pictures this morning. Um, so if you could go do that, Pastor John uh, would appreciate that. So finally, these words uh, from 2 Thessalonians 2, and then we will see you at uh, McKinney's, and we'll try to start that baptism at, at noon. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may He comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and work.